Today's scripture is taken from the chapter of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up, as they always did, for the feast. When it was over and they left for home, the child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, Jesus' parents journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found Jesus in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But Jesus' parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. The child Jesus said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. So Jesus went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly, deep within herself. And Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, Thanks be to God. We also give thanks to Creator God for enabling our guest, the Reverend Dr. Randley Woodley, to join us this morning. Dr. Woodley is a Cherokee descendant recognized by the United Kitawa Band of Cherokee Indians in Oklahoma. He grew up in Michigan. He and his wife, Edith, herself a member of the Eastern Shoshone tribe, together founded and sustained the Elahe Indigenous Center for Earth Justice and Elahe Farm and Seeds. I know Megan has already referenced that this morning. I'm not sure if she mentioned that this, was on, this is on about 10 acres in Yamhill, Oregon. And Elahe is a Cherokee word meaning harmony, wholeness, abundance, and peace. That's a great word, huh? Dr. Woodley is a distinguished professor of faith and culture at Portland Seminary of George Fox University. I, I think we have a student at George Fox, don't we? Yeah, Sam. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the latest episode of his podcast, Piecing It All Together is the name of it, and that's as in world peace as opposed to quilting peace, you know? You'll find out that Dr. Woodley is publishing three books this year alone. I mean, to add to his long list of authorship. One of them is uh, Becoming Rooted, which we've heard from. This just dropped in January. And another one, Indigenous Theology and the Western Worldview, just launched about two weeks ago. 
And if I understand correctly, there will be two more picture books, one of which I think is planned for this year uh, to go along with the Harmony Way. One activity not mentioned in Dr. Woodley's bio is that he is an indigenous advisor to the Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery Coalition. And I have a story about that. In helping to put together the coalition's Stories of Repair publication, I started wondering about references to the words seeded, C-E-D-E, seeded and unseeded, both used to describe Duwamish tribal territory that now comprises Seattle. Since that issue came up in Greg Thiessen's essay about the real rent program in the book. So I did some research to try to clarify, but I kept finding the contradictions. When I raised the question, seated or unseated, in the coalition's publication review session with our indigenous advisors, Dr. Woodley responded by saying something like, it's unseated. Nobody ever gives up their home and their land voluntarily. Whoa. Right then, the confusion cleared with what struck me as that overarching truth. And I also saw how my own approach had been wrong-headed. My goal was accuracy, but it dawned on me that what is considered accurate in an oppressive and unjust framework set up by the doctrine of discovery can never be true or right. My white settler brain needs to be decolonized. That's what happens when a wisdom keeper shares the wisdom. Dr. Woodley. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a nice story. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, thanks also, Megan, for the, sharing the children's story today. Um, yeah, you know, um, everything I do, I do for a particular purpose. And, uh, and most of it has to do with getting us to uh, see things from a more indigenous perspective. And, um, and but it, there's a lot of roads to get there. So today, uh, I know that um, several times it's been referenced that I will be preaching today. But I'm sorry, I just have a lot of trouble preaching sitting here in my study. So I'm mostly I'm just going to be talking today. So uh, and uh, someone once said the difference between preaching and teaching is that you you uh, you uh, teach with one hand and you preach with two hands. So I'm just going to be using one hand today. So um, thanks for inviting me today. Um, very overwhelmed by the way you're using the things I've written and uh, honored uh, and uh, the way that you're looking at your relationship to the host people of your land. So thank you very much. The scripture uh, that I want to talk about really goes along with the where you all were at in your journey and with the uh, uh, youth versus the United States government um, case and the vi the video. I believe you saw that. Is that right? Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that you got yes? Shake your heads yes and no. Shake your head no. Did you all have the opportunity to watch that video together? Yes. Okay. Great. 
it's important. I've been following them since the beginning. A couple of them are from our area here, and we've uh, talked to them personally and heard them speak. And uh, it goes along with this strange shift in the world that's occurring right now. And I don't know. I'm an I'm an anthropologist, so that's what my training is in. And so I watch people and I watch trends and I watch what's happening in society. And uh, there's been some interesting things happening over the last 20 years or so that, that I'm still trying to get my head around, but I thought I would share some of those with you. Um, and especially since uh, we, we, the scripture of Jesus teaching in the temple as a child. And his response, the, basically the bottom line to this whole story and that whole narrative is he had to be about God's concerns, about God's business. Some translations say the Father's business. And so it, it made sense to him, but it didn't make sense to his parents. And it says they didn't really understand what was going on, which is sort of the dilemma of you know youth and parents from time immemorial, I think. Um, but there's a reason for that. There's a reason that um, they see things differently. And, and yes, there's a lot of things that we can talk about in terms of like, you know, impetuousness and selfishness and, you know, all those kinds of things that, that we see sometimes in children. But I don't want to talk about those today. I want to talk about what's going on right now with the uh, Gen Z generation, and then really taking part of the millennials, if you will, in that. And so I've been teaching for the last 15 years. And I noticed that people who attend seminary are attending for different reasons. now. So um, it used to be that they were studying for the ministry, and they were going to go and they were going to pastor, or they were going to be you know, involved in some kind of ministry. And, and, uh, and that was the majority and I'd say over the last 10 years or so, and it was already shifting when I started teaching, um, they're there for what I would call existential reasons. And the majority are there for existential reasons. They're discovering their own relationship with God. They're discovering spirituality, but not just a sort of a personal journey. They're discovering uh, a, a new paradigm because they have rejected the paradigm that was handed to them. And this is really important for us to understand. Now, I'm, uh, tell you my age, I'm a middle boomer. Uh, that's where I'm at. Um, I have uh, children uh, who are in uh, different generations. I've got children who are uh, Gen X. I've got children who are what they call Gen Y, and I have children who are Gen Z. And, uh, and so I've been able to experience some of this at home as well. Um, but it took me a while to start realizing that there was a whole lot that I needed to learn from them. And, and that's why it reminds me of the scripture. You know, Jesus' parents didn't understand the, the way that he was going about God's business and how it differed from the way that they went about God's difference. And so I think there's actually something happening now. And I think the spirit is very much at work in this generation that we have right now. And I have a whole lot of hope based on that because, you know, prior generations haven't been able to do much except for maintain homeostasis. Now, I've, they wanted things to stay the same. As a boomer, 
Yeah, we we are the last generation before this, I think, that rejected our parents' paradigm. We didn't want the materialism and, you know, and some good things came about and some bad things came about, but we didn't sustain the good things. And then we went through a couple more generations and now we have this Gen Z generation. And again, I'm going to include some of the millennials in this too. And I want to talk to you right now, just first start off by some of the characteristics that um, that are reported through lots of their own surveys, self-surveys, and, and also that I've noticed. And I'm going to go through these. Uh, you can write them down if you want. Um, and I'm just going to make a, a sort of a comparison to, to the past generation. So um, right now, they're the largest group. They represent the largest group of people uh, that uh, uh, Gen Z generation. If you were born between 1997 and 2012, you're part of 68 million people. Uh, <coughs> who incidentally would be the largest voting block, especially with a lot of the millennials carrying over some of the same characteristics and uh, add that. Um, so uh, one of the things they don't like formal structures, but they like ceremony. Isn't that interesting? They don't like formal structures, but they like ceremony. And that's exactly why that we had the millennials leaving the church and the Gen Z's not going to church because they don't want the same structures. They want ceremony, but they don't want the same structures. Also, their music is very eclectic, very eclectic. I, I can't tell you how many times my own kids have surprised me by listening to stuff that I listen to, but then they listen to Johnny Cash and, you know, old rock and roll and rap and just, you know, it's just, you know, hip hop, it's, it's very eclectic. Uh, I haven't found any listening to opera or symphony music yet, but you know, they may, I don't know. Um, and then they're interested in what we're talking about today. They're interested in earth justice. They don't want to see the earth continue to be abused and extracted from and they're very, very vocal about that. The, the only thing that they're almost as vocal about of that are things like racism. They want, you know, they, they're tired of the prior generation's racism. They don't want to, to see that happen. They want equal justice and equal opportunity for everybody. Um, and then um, they have brought about something that I would call, and I've never heard anybody refer to this yet, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, but we brought about it, the boomers, what we call the, the, the sexual revolution. They have brought about a different kind of sexual revolution. And it has to do with, um, you know, the fact that some of us now pronounce our names as he, him, their, uh, et cetera. And uh, some of you and non-gender binary and some of that. And I know that some of you are still trying to get your heads around that. But this is actually happening among them. Um, they think war is not just morally wrong, which our boomer generation basically stopped Vietnam, but um, uh, with a number of other streams, but they think it's a waste of, of money and a waste of life. And so they sort of see war for what it is. Um, they're not threatened by difference. And so they're, they tend to have very open immigration policies, um, hospitality, uh, greeting the stranger, et cetera. Um, they're very interested in helping the poor. So we talk about, you know, the, the old uh, widows, orphans, and uh, uh, foreigners or immigrants, they're there. 
Um, they want to learn, but they want to learn from different, uh, diverse perspectives. So um, what they're interested in is, is hearing from everybody, hearing everybody's stories. So I've taught, I think, church history 23 times in the last 15 years. And uh, um, I always start by saying there's no such thing as history. They look at each other and I say, but there are histories and everybody has their own version of it. And so they want to hear all these versions. Um, they're interested in relationship and especially in each person's story and respecting the person uh, and their story and what they would say is their truth, sharing their truth. They're interested in community, uh, connectedness through whatever means necessary. And that's why they are the generation of social media because those are their communities that they're able to form. Um, they're interested in authenticity. They hate lying in politicians and they hate lying in policies. Um, they are interested in being free in a lifestyle. Um, they have a, a different kind of a work ethic. It's not like, you know, work overtime as much as you can, but only if you need it, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So work is needed. They're interested in spirituality instead of religion. They really don't care about our denominational titles or what's on the, the placard in front of the church. What they want is a place where they can experience spirituality and authenticity and from the heart. And they like nature um, and they're finding spirituality in that. Um, last one, they're very innovative and they're very uh, creative. Um, and they're able to to think of ways to do things that we probably would have never thought of. And so, so all of those characteristics sort of embody right now um, this new generation that we're seeing rise up and change the world. And I would ask you, like, how are these very same things not also God's concerns? How are they also not God's business? And so they're much like Jesus going about their father's business. They might not name it in that way. And, um, and if you think that, you know, the spirit only works inside the church, then I guess, you know, you wouldn't see it from that perspective. But if you believe God is also at work just as much outside the church than inside the church, then you would begin to recognize that they are actually doing God's business. And so, um, and, and all of these things that I named fit very easily in what we would call shalom. And what we would refer to as um, the gospel, even. Now, I have a different way of understanding um, the gospel. The gospel to me is um, when Jesus preached the quote-unquote kingdom, and he didn't really use that word, but the realm of God. But when, when he preached the shalom kingdom, he always preached uh, it was a shalom kingdom, not just a kingdom, but a shalom kingdom, which meant what? It was full of peace and justice and um, hospitality and welcoming the stranger and, uh, you know, justice and uh, equality and equity and all of these kinds of things that we get from really uh, from the start of the Old Testament into Jesus. And then Jesus in Luke 4 announces, hey, this is why I'm here. I am fulfilling this whole thing. Shalom, Jubilee. Does it mean that you're not supposed to be generous anymore? 
Does it mean that you're not supposed to set aside food for other people? Does it mean that you're not supposed to welcome the stranger? No, Jesus proved even in that very chapter, Luke 4, that all these things are still supposed to be going on. And so, and so what they are interested in, whether they realize it or not, is what I would call Jesus Shalom Kingdom. So what are the implications for us? If, if the gospel is about shalom, not a set of beliefs necessarily, you know, I don't see too many times Jesus is talking about correct beliefs. You know, we are always very concerned about having the correct doctrines and the correct uh, membership statements and, you know, who, who can we exclude if they don't meet our standards? But this is not at all what Jesus taught, and this is not at all what this new generation is teaching and thinking. They want to experience justice and life and uh, fullness and relationship and community. And so they make really qualifies them for some of the best followers of Jesus on the planet. I'm not saying they got everything right. I'm not even saying they realize it. But I'm saying God is using them to open the eyes of us to open the eyes of, like Jesus' parents, of what God is doing among us now. And so what do we need to do? It's pretty simple. We need to make room for them. Does that mean like just like setting aside a, a set of chairs in the church and saying, this is for young people and, and for the next, you know, 30 years going, how do we get more young people in the church? We've kind of done that, been there, done that, you know, never saw any fruit from it. So I think we need to, uh, to have a different plan. And that is, and, and, and this is very much like Jesus, to join them where they are. So the thing we need to be thinking about is how do we, as a church body and as individuals, how do we join them where they are? Because if you see God's business being done somewhere, then, you know, we all should be jumping in the middle of that and doing it, whether it's called by his name or not. I remember the people who came to, to, to Jesus as some of his disciples and said, you know, Lord, they're, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And, and, uh, and he said, well, you know, if they're not against me, they're for me. And so it's not about getting the correct language or the correct doctrine. It's about getting in the correct place with them and then helping to encourage them, helping them to, um, to make room for them in leadership even. Because um, they see something we don't see. We're starting to see it. I'm starting to see it. But they see something that we don't see. And that perspective is just part of God's diversity. As a Cherokee, we have this sort of like uh, way of thinking about um, people like, you know, there's, there's children. And then if you think about in a, a circle or medicine wheel or whatever, there's children, uh, there's young adults, there's mature adults, and there are elders. And if you look at that sort of pie chart, if you will, the elders are right next to the children. And, and elders are supposed to be, it doesn't always work out that way, but elders are supposed to be people who, whose time is coming, who have 
learned from their mistakes over all the years, who have sort of um, figured out what life is about and have a wider perspective, and who are basically closer to God because they're going to be seeing God pretty soon. And then just the next space over is, is children. And so children uh, in our way is are sacred because they come from this place, like from God, from God's heart, from God's mind. And, and we are supposed to learn from them. And that's a different paradigm than I was really taught in a Western paradigm that we are supposed to learn from the children. And I don't know, does that sound like a Bible verse to you anywhere? You know? Uh, so, so what I'm talking about today is not that revolutionary. And I think for such a time as this, God has raised these people up. And we sort of are the ones who are dragging behind and need to get with it. So we make room for them. We help them find ways to lead. Um, we, that might mean, you know, like us being junior partners sometimes instead of like being in charge. Um, uh, we respect their opinions, even though, you know, hey, we tried that, you know, it's a different time. You know, we're going to try it again and, and, and we're going to try it differently. And, and we do have a role as elder people to sort of guide and help, but, but not to berate and not to laugh at and not to, to say, oh, they're just young, they'll learn. It's a different time. It's a different season for this. And, and think, listen to their solutions. Listen to their opinions and share our own stories. They'd rather hear our stories than any kind of moralizing or, you know, um, propositions that we have to report. And, you know, they want to hear our stories about our lives. That's what they're interested in. And, and this is the hardest part, so I saved it for last. They want new structures. They want new structures. They don't want our structures. They may not want our organs and pianos. They have a different way of doing things and thinking about things. And so, you know, I have a solution. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be, uh, by 2025, there will be one, over 100,000 churches that will close their buildings. Now think of that. What's going on in the world when in just a few years, over 100,000 churches will, will cease to exist that exist now? So, what are they going to do with that money? And what are they going to do with the, you know, does everybody have to find churches, even though they've been in the same place and the same people for the last 40 years? Well, actually, it was um, the millennial generation that came up with this idea. They, they came up with a tiny house. I'm proposing that we sell those buildings and we create tiny churches. Maybe not as small as a tiny house. We sell those things and we do justice and we support them or, you know, whatever the justice is that your organization comes up with or, or people that you know. And because uh, and, and, there's always going to be people who want to worship together and hear the piano and hear the organ and, you know, sing those hymns. And that's okay, you know, 
Nobody's saying you, you can't practice your faith the way you always have if that's what you want. But that's one way to make room. And that's one way to change structures. And then, and then we find out what are the structures that you want. Um, I can tell you just from what I've observed in nature that there's one rule of nature that overrides everything else. And human beings are the last to learn it, especially American human beings. And that rule is adaptability. Nature adapts. Whatever is going on, whatever the problem is, nature's going to find a way to adapt because that's the way God set it all in motion. But human beings, we like things stable. We like things, you know, what we call homeostasis so that we don't rock the boat, you know, and, and that's a Western principle. I mean, it's built because people want stable economies. They want to make money off stable economies. They want to, you know, <clears throat> but if you're a farmer, that's the last thing that you can count on is stability. You know, last April on our farm here was the hottest and driest April on record. This April was the coldest and wettest on record. And so it means something very different about how we plant and what we put out and when and all. And, and, and do we change things we plan because they're not going to have probably enough uh, time to mature. And, and so if you're a farmer and you know, you can't master nature, you can't win, you can't fight a war against nature. And homeostatic systems like our church structures oftentimes basically we build for homeostasis. We build for this settledness, for this sameness. We build, um, but the way that we build is not adaptable. And, and, and so what happens when you build a non-adaptable structure, it will watch my hands. It will fall in on itself. And that's why we have a, over a hundred thousand churches closing. Or it will be consumed in nature by a more adaptable system. So we have some decisions to make because right now we hold the voting power, we hold the purse strings, we hold basically all the power. But if you believe in what God is doing in this generation, then you're going to have to reexamine that. And you're going to have to think about how do we become an adaptable congregation? And maybe you are. I don't really know your structure at all. Um, and how do we help form adaptable situations um, where they can be welcomed as well? Jesus gave us a great example. I mean, it's the only thing we, you know, we only have a couple times of him actually speaking in the temple. And he caused trouble both times. You know, I mean. Uh, well, the second was the synagogue at his hometown, but he caused a lot of trouble. They wanted to kill him afterwards in Luke 4. But his parents didn't understand him. It's the only, it's the only time that we have anything from his childhood. And, and it says they didn't understand. Might we understand the time and the season that we're going through right now? Thank you.